Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile coaching series. Today's episode features host Leslie Morse and guests Natasha Speets and Femi Odalusi. Natasha Speets is an experienced Agile team and enterprise coach. She helps her clients reach maturity in Agile by curating focused Agile coaching programs. In 2020, Natasha started an Agile community project to draft an ethical code for Agile coaches. And it only made sense to join forces with the Agile Alliance and create a code of ethics that truly reflects the needs of the coaches and their clients. Femi is a professional coach accredited by ICF and EMCC. He has excelled in organizational change and enabling innovative, digitally enabled business solutions. He has guided a variety of organizations as they transform in today's world of digitization. In this episode, Leslie chats with Natasha and Femi about Section 4 of the Code of Ethical Conduct, Navigating Conflicts of Interest. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Natasha and Femi. Natasha and Femi, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Yeah. I'm so excited to explore navigating conflicts of interest with the two of you. Um, It's the fourth commitment of the Agile Alliance Agile Coaching Code of Ethical Conduct. Um, I'm thrilled that the two of you are going to help us learn more about this section of the code and really help listeners think about, which in my opinion is one of the most important commitments because there's a lot that's at risk if this one doesn't go well. Um, So just to get us started, I'll go ahead and and read the commitment, and then we'll be off to the races. Navigating conflicts of interest. I will be transparent about any potential conflicts of interest with all who may be affected. I will consciously avoid situations where I benefit myself to the detriment of the client and stakeholders so that I may maintain professional judgment and objective thinking. I will resolve conflicts of interest by working with the client and stakeholders, seek assistance when needed, and suspend or end the relationship if needed. There's a lot in there, y'all. We got a bunch to unpack in this episode. Let's just get started with like, why do you believe this commitment within the code is important? Yeah, thank you, Leslie. Um, uh, I think it's, as you said, one of the most important of these uh, commitments that we need to take as an agile coach. Um, It's also something that's quite new for a lot of people to think about and stating it that clearly and and that bluntly even um, allows people to to really stop sometimes in their movement and say, hey, what what decision am I taking? Um, Who am I involving in here? What is part of What's part of the system that I bring in to this conversation or this organization or this team? Um, and, and how might that actually be affecting the outcome of what my client wants? And it's it's a little bit my my thing that I'd like to say to, to people who, who ask for, for uh, ideas around is like, be curious, but be curious for your client and not for yourself. Um, and, it, and it will be okay. And just stating it that clearly that when you're curious for your client and not just for yourself, um, then the interest that you may have for yourself or your own team or the, the organization that you work with or a different organization you work with, um, they become they become clear and obvious. And then you might actually ask yourself more questions. I think it's important. Yeah. 
I love that phrase, curious for your client. That's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Comes back to coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Femi, what do you have to add to that? Oh, thank you, Leslie. And um, thank you, Natasha, for taking the lead on that. And um, what stands out for me mostly with this code of ethic is how to bring it to life. When I look at those four words, navigating conflicts of interest, quite a few things stand out for me. You know, the navigating kind of alludes to a little bit of a metaphor. Like, you know, if you're lost in the wilderness, you need to navigate your way around to get out of a sticky situation. And in the world of, uh, from the experience I've, I've had to date with coaching, there's always that element of uncertainty. Should we do this? Should we do that? Option A, option B. There's always that situation that, as a coach, I have to navigate my way around situations. Well, let me unpack it a little bit more. And when I look at the first bullet point, where it refers to transparency about conflicts of interest with all who might be affected, you probably noticed that I skipped one word deliberately. I skipped the word potential. What it means is that we don't the obligation is on us not to wait until that conflict of interest arises, but to actually watch out for potentials. Now, how do we identify that as coaches? Self-awareness is absolutely critical. Without self-awareness, it will be a challenge to identify potential conflict of interests. Now, without wanting to go into any specifics, I've seen situations where a coach has found themselves in hot soup. And it was only after the soup was boiling that they now tried to take some corrective action. But by then it was too late. The key point about that code of ethic is to actually make sure that we're on the front foot all the time to actually be you know, cognizant of what potential may arise and take corrective action well in advance before it comes up. Yeah, that feels so resonant to what, Natasha, you were saying about that curious for the client, right? And I think this is a really great place to sit for just a few minutes around this first commitment because you can't be transparent about potential conflicts of interest unless you know what to look for and even know to be looking for them. So how, how do y'all do that in your day-to-day practice working in the work of Agile coaching? Or how do you advise others to help do that? If, if you allow me to unpack that a little bit or to give that a little bit of an idea, um, what, what people often say about specifically that potential of, of uh, conflict of interest within either an internal um, coaching uh, job or an external, um, that it is so different for them. And myself as an external coach or agile coach or, or um, helper of, of teams and, and organizations, it's easier sometimes to, to say no to something. 
um, because at one point we either have a choice. We're not uh, we're not connected only to one client. We can weigh the cost of saying no um, easier than if you are in uh, an internal um, job as as agile coach. And but the remedy for both um, situations is exactly the same. Uh, as an as a as an outside coach, um, I approach my client or my every every person who approaches me about a new potential client could be HR or could be um, a manager or could be just another coach that has heard of my services and says, hey, there's a spot for you. Um, I view that person as a client. And it's in that mindset of, of seeing that very first contact even has nothing to do with the job itself, uh, will not be the person paying me. He's already a client. So I'm already asking questions. I'm already being curious about what it what is going to happen in this job. What is the outcome? What is what do you want? What do you want my help for? Really, um, the more I know about what's going to happen, the better I feel prepared for an eventual um, conversation about what type of contract I'm getting myself into. But always keeping in in mind that you have the right to ask questions before you say yes. Um, and that allows you to get a bigger picture, a better picture of what you're getting yourself into. Um, and as what uh, Femi alluded to is that navigating conflict. Um, and I believe that every step along the way, um, the, the conversation about who is going to be helped by my work, is it a team or a person? Um, I work also a lot with personal coaching uh, in organizations. That person usually has someone that pays for the coaching um, or pays, or that team has someone that pays for the coaching. So there's all sorts of interests that you like to, to, to connect with. Um, and for me, that also connects a little bit with the second one in which we consciously avoid um, uh, any situations in which I may benefit myself. And I want to add myself as that system that I, that I just talked about, myself or my team. Um, and, and this is where I go back to contracting, knowing exactly who will be my user client and who will be my sponsor client and how do they both know what they're both getting themselves into and that that is transparent, not only to me, but also to them so that I can, I can actually, I have a tool there. I can say, this is not what you wanted me to do. And you're going against the will of the team. I will not, I don't know, um, do this, this part of the job that you're asking of me because it's not fair to what we agreed to. Femi, I know contracting is, is a keen topic for you as well as we were getting ready for today's episode. You talked about how it's a, the single thing that can, potentially mitigate conflicts of interest so much. But before we get into that, I want to just take a minute to define the word contract, because especially for people who are practicing agile coaching and have done things like ICF training with the International Coaching Federation, there is a concept called the coaching contract, contract. which defines the boundaries of this coaching relationship in that very professional coaching situation. And we know agile coaching may or may not involve professional coaching, depending on the moment you're in. But then, then there's also the top to the topic of contract as in a statement of work. I'm an external coach. We have a 
legal contract in place that allows me to come in and render services. So like with, I just want us to be clear as we're using the word contract, what type of contract we're talking about. So what did you have to add on this? So I'll add one more to the two scenarios you've described there. I'll bring in the third one, rules of engagement. And I don't mean engagement as in um, um, external, internal relationship. How are we going to play? Yeah. How are we going to dance to the music? What do we do if the music stops? Just the basic rules. How, how are we going to roll? And in my early days of, of coaching, I used to always look at contracting from the perspective of what we've scribbled down on paper. I do this, you do that, you know. But I then realized through, you know, self-awareness how contracting has a great degree of fluidity. You know, contracting is so fluid to the point of, oh, how are you doing today? And then the rapport starts and the conversation builds and we manage the conversation through the dynamics human dynamics, our self-awareness takes us to the point that we know we're strained from that contract when we actually start hitting a little bit of some resistance, nonverbal clues, nonverbal communication. I use the word contracting very, very loosely. Mm -hmm. There's contracting, capital C, and there's contracting, small c. Yeah, I, what you're saying reminds me of the, this phrase around the um, unwritten social contracts that we Absolutely. have. And is that a way that you would describe this? Absolutely. Um, I work as an internal coach, and I've got a reputation of actually striking up a coaching conversation in the most unusual places, starting up with a casual, how's your day going? Wow, that sounds great. What's most fascinating about what you've just said? And basically, we build up the relationship and we define unconsciously what we want to talk about. What a cooler conversation. If I now jump abstractly to something random outside of that conversation, I probably will notice that, hey, I'm not getting the response and it seems that I'm straying out of our contract, you know. Um, it's the people-centric side of things from a coaching perspective that enables us to contract very well, even if it's a two-minute conversation, which basically define, in very simplistic terms, what is it, what is it about the conversation we're about to have? Now, you can now scale that up exponentially to C-suite where you have a limited time to achieve a statement of objective with what is it they want to do. Maybe it's a director and you need to be very clear and concise what the conversation is about, what's the expected outcome. And it happens in seconds. 
that is contracting. Yeah, and what about that for you is important in helping navigate conflicts of interest? I just want to make that super crystal clear for our listeners today. Right. Great question. Yeah. Conflict of interest could actually be as a result of so many things. But let me just use one example. Prior information, prior knowledge. We have a contract and we have ground for our conversation and we now touch upon a subject that I have prior knowledge of that could prejudice the conversation that we're about to have. My coaching stance normally would come from a place of not knowing in service of the client. The point at which I'm no longer in that place of not knowing, I cannot be in service to the client. That's the significance for me. And that could lead me to a potential conflict of interest. If, if, I, if I may add a little bit to that, uh, Femi and Leslie, um, when you asked about, um, there are several different types of contracts that you can can um, uh, sign, right? Uh, little ones with, with money and paper and time and um, even a working agreement with a team um, uh, is a form of contract. And there are so many different types of contract. And I love how you describe that, Femi. It's, it's exactly uh, that, that social contract between two people. And that's where coaching really sits. Um, and agile coaching in itself is not professional coaching. It's, it's a whole you know, heap of, of beautiful and, and very powerful competencies. And it doesn't mean that you're only upholding that type of contract when you're coaching. Um, that the way of working can be with you, uh, like, like we are having a way of working together. Um, but it can also be uh, with you in a team. And you can also, as an agile coach, facilitate that for the team. Now, when I am when I have a contract with a team, a social contract, the way of working contract, um, we talk about how would you like me to to show up in your sessions, or how, what, when would you like me to give you um, advice, or how anything anything goes, anything is important for them, it's important for me. But when they are working on their social contract, I make a conscious decision to stay out of that. Now I can take that conscious decision and it's almost written almost in stone that I will be neutral, but it does not really exist. It's, it's, it's a fantasy that we can really be neutral. So to mitigate our human side in that situation, to really allow the team to self-organize and not be influenced by my uh, process holder uh, stands there, um, I literally have that contract with them. You will not see me. You will not notice me and I will not be there only when you need me. And I even can take that to working on different levels. And I'm guessing, Femi, you, you have this uh, yourself and you have that knowledge that you bring in. Um, I was once, as a team coach, uh, invited by uh, the C-suite to, to help them with a strategy meeting, which I was extremely excited about. But I was also a team um, coach. And... I, I had to stop after one session. I had to excuse myself. I said, I'm so grateful that you asked me for this, but I cannot stop bringing in just my, my thoughts of what your decision may do to my team. So ultimately my job here is to serve the team and 
now I'm creating a new contract with you to serve you. But both may have conflicting and they had conflicting interests at that time. So I had to say, I cannot serve you because I might bring in some, 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 some things that you don't want to hear or need to hear, or it's not part of, of what's important here today. Um, so that's, that's, it's important to know what contract you're talking about. And it's important how, how aware you are of, of your, your power and the influence that you bring in. Oftentimes, we, you are the agile coach, or you are the coach, or you're the change maker, or you're the helper, or you're the, oftentimes, you are that lifeboat that people um, you know, see come by in that navigating their own change. Um, you have a huge responsibility to that, um, to that group of people that count on you to help them navigate their own um, challenges. So, um, yeah. Yeah. There, just there. one thing I will add to what you've just said there, Natasha. In order for navigating conflict of interest to be at the heart of agile coaching, self-awareness is absolutely critical. Yeah, I agree. Self-awareness of self and self-awareness of, of today. Circumstances, situations. Yeah. And of what you know. That's who you are. Yeah, it's an undertone to this idea of like the maintain professional judgment and objective thinking. Without that self-awareness, how can you ever fulfill that back half of the second bullet? So like what what are the things that you're doing to cultivate your own self-awareness so you can maintain professional judgment and objective thinking? Well, I'm for sure going to book a coaching session with Femi so that I can get some coaching supervision. <laughs> oh, that's oh, thank you, though. Thank you for that. And I think that's where that where a lot of a lot of agile coaches are surprised when you tell them you are also a professional coach and you need to start working towards um, getting that skill under your belt. And um, part of being a professional coach, even if it's only a quarter of the work that you do, you can bring all these competencies and all these powerful competencies, such as facilitating growth and evoking awareness and, and being being in a listening uh, stance um, or, or just having a mindset of a coach. You can bring that to everything you do, even when you're training, even when you are having, uh, even when you're giving advice. I know it's, it's, it's a word that we don't say, but we do it. Um, so you, you, you can still be in that presence of, is my advice my advice? Is my advice just an experience that I've experienced once? Are they going to really benefit from that? Is it serving my interests to be heard and to be seen as, as an important person? Is it serving my interests of um, money-wise? I have a product to sell that I don't really um, disclose to, to this team, but you know take this class because it's awesome. Um, and... I think supervision is one of the things that will help you create that space for yourself to reflect. And how is my judgment today? As what, what Femi says, the awareness of self, awareness of how you show up. And not only the awareness of yourself as I'm aware that I'm a little bit, um, a little bit unnerved or I've, I'm a bit, I don't know, sweaty or something. It's really the awareness of self. What am I bringing today to the conversation? What's my baggage about today? How light do I feel? What happened the other day with this person in a leadership position? It bothered me. I need to talk to about some something with someone. You don't want to do that with everyone. And it's really interesting that you mentioned water cooler moments. One of the first thing 
um, I explain to my teams is that I will not be their friend. All my clients know this. I will, I will be their cheerleader. I will be their, their, the person that supports them in everything they need, but I will not be their friend because the moment I have a personal attachment to that, that group, I cannot serve them anymore. I become part of that group. Right. And, and uh, I want to stay out of that. I want to hold them as my ultimate goal for self-organization or whatever the goal is without interfering. Um, just, just, to, just to take it one step further, um, a while back, uh, must have been about 18 months or thereabouts, I, I had a podcast on uh, the, the subject was bringing the values, ethics and competences of professional coaching to agile coaching. I know it's quite a, a mouthful, but my goal there was to highlight, to contrast the world of professional coaching and the world of agile coaching. Um, I think it's GMAC, um, Global Mentoring Alliance, um, made up of the ICF, EMCC, and AC, how they have that alliance and how they you know, promote values, ethics, ethics and competencies. Without a doubt, the agile coaching space is in serious need of making sure that people wear the hat of being an agile coach actually understand values that they have to demonstrate or embody, ethics that they have to abide by, and competencies that they have to step up to. Now, how do I make sure that I'm constantly abreast with all that? Natasha mentioned earlier on supervision. Mentoring is that I have a number of coaches. Let me not just say how many, but I have a number of coaches. And we work as a network and we have triads and we have touch points and we check in with one another. And I have supervisors as well. So even though I'm a mentor, <laughs> where I mentee others, where I mentor others, but I'm also a mentee to mentors who've put me on the path to make sure that I don't deviate. Now, why is all this important? When I consider the second bullet point, I know we spend a great deal of time um, on the first one there. The second point uses one word that stands out, consciously. I will consciously avoid situations where I benefit myself. Natasha made a, um, uh, alluded to an example about training courses. Now, I so happen to be an internal coach, so I don't benefit much from offering a package to a client where the package is not necessarily beneficial to the client, but it has a financial offering that sounds attractive to me. And without that consciousness of the unethical aspect of that behavior, if I put my ethics aside, I could just convince them that this is the package you need. And they buy it, and I benefit from it, and I don't make a disclosure of that benefit, financial benefit. And then it turns out not to be the solution to the problems. And I just walk away from the coaching relationship and move on to the next slide. So 
as coaches, we have to embody that ethical aspect of making sure we avoid situations that are purely for the benefit of ourselves and to the detriment of clients, just to make sure that we hold ourselves up to our ethical standards. Yeah, and I think you talked about, like, I ended a relationship once because that was, there was a conflict of interest and, like, that is probably the most extreme thing that needs to happen. I cannot work with you anymore. This conflict of interest cannot be resolved. So before we wrap up, I do want to make sure we quickly touch on the third bullet here, right? I will resolve conflicts of interest by working with the client and stakeholders, seek assistance when needed, and suspend or end the relationship if needed, right? Suspending or ending a relationship, like I said, is kind of the most extreme version. But what are the other thoughts you all have on essentially risk mitigation once you find yourself, I think for me to use your phrase, like in the boiling water, right? Oh, wow, the water's boiling. We're here now. What do we do about it? Any stories or advice you have there? I think I think the best thing to do is to refer back to point number one and be transparent about what you are experiencing. Um, it may be that you think you are in boiling water, but it's not that bad. Maybe you forgot mm. to mention something or... Um, maybe you did actually uh, explain this before and they are completely aware that what you're doing and then that's fine. Um, the, the last bullet, I will resolve conflicts by working with the client and stakeholders. I really love that that's in there. Um, it's really important that we also need to see our clients and stakeholders, even if our relationships may have gone a uh, little sideways. We see them as humans and we need to use our own empathy to 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 bring things to the table but also our i would say our, our courage sometimes and say hey i think i created a situation for us in which we are in danger of maybe even uh, i i've actually seen financial burden through conflicts of interest i can tell you i've seen an entire company go down because one person had wow. yes, it was, was not very nice um when one person had a conflict of interest it was not a financial conflict of interest as such it was just in their interest to hire a whole lot of people. Um, and then, you know, we know how that works. Uh, that, those things I knew before I had to, I had to actually bring that to the table. Now I, I had to leave that, that conversation, of course, um, really, really quickly. Um, but I think this is a really good tip to just bring it to the table, bring your courage, be open and honest. If, if, if it's difficult for you to be open and honest about things that, that make you curious about if everything is going well and if everything has been resolved. Um, and and what, what Femi says, mentor coaching or supervision coaching often, often work in the same way. Bring it to the person you trust most and allow them to, to help you explore what it is that you are doing and or what is happening around you and how you might want to respond. But do not not respond. You must respond. Also, if you see something happen that you are not part of and you see that people are destroying either themselves or uh, parts of the organization or going against the interest of the organization or of the job that you were hired for um, and you notice it and you don't do anything, you will you'll take that with you, I think. Um, and even after that, that contract and that conversation, you're going, you it will sit with you. So deal, I think dealing with that in an open and trusting relationship. Hmm. I'm just going to add very quickly, just a very um, 
brief point or two, um, I want to circle back to the first bullet point. And there's a word there that stands out. Transparency. Natasha mentioned courage, openness, and honesty. I will add transparent, be transparent. Just be, be, be open about it. But the second point I was going to say is to be vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. If the coaching agreement has a clause about co-coaching, it might be time to engage a co-coach, provided there's no breach of confidentiality. And again, we circle back to contracting now, the capital C, not the small c. So, you know, resolving those con conflicts or either actual or potential conflicts of interest is very important to not just run away when they arise, but to take appropriate steps to make sure that even if the relationship is going to be terminated, positive steps need to be taken to make sure that, you know, resolutions are put in place. That's that's all I wanted to add. Yeah, and, and if we still have a minute, I'd like to add to that as well, because that resonates a lot with me, Femi, that you're saying that. Um, and it actually brings me back to a situation where I was hired as, um, or I was hired as a coach for coaching sessions with the team that I knew. And um, I, I had to eventually create a new contract with that same team saying, I know you guys, and I know you a little bit too well. It may be that I'm part of the conflict, and it may be that, I don't know, um, me facilitating this conversation, it may be that one voice is not heard, which is mine, that maybe you have questions for. Um, and it may also be that I can actually bring in some things that, that I could push my own agenda. Um, so this is where I exactly did what uh, you're alluding to. I asked just very simple, a coach from a different team to come in and, and work because it was not a big conflict to work this thing out together. And uh, so that I could go back to my job as being that uh, supporter and cheerleader for the team and, and not their, um, their friend that made a mistake, right? We all do that. It's like what I'm just hearing in, in the, the things you're both are sharing. It's like that, that idea of courage, transparent, vulnerable, like when in doubt, just ask like, hey, this thing's going on. Could it be a potential conflict of interest? Like just every time you have any sort of little inkling that something might just go and just ask. Mm -hmm. um, I think you all have done a beautiful job of covering the three bullets. And, and I know we're getting really short on time, but I'm we've been so in the space and just the tone and energy of this conversation today is felt very in that professional coaching wheelhouse of agile coaching, which I think all of us at some point have said, professional coaching is not agile coaching. It is one Absolutely. of the things you might bring to bear. And Absolutely. knowing both of you are very seasoned in that professional coaching space, I, I want to use this as an opportunity to get your input on something that I see happen that I guess is borderline related to ethics. And it is when agile coaches or scrum masters or product owners or leaders or whoever it is that's doing the work of agile coaching, it doesn't mean you have the title agile coach. Yeah. Anyone regardless of role or job description can do agile coaching. But that first time they go to that first 
ICF accredited course or EMCC accredited course or whatever, and they catch that professional coaching bug, that is the only intervention they see. And they over occupy that stance. So what is any advice you have for people early in their professional coaching journey to help avoid over-occupying professional coaching as a way to work with individuals and teams. Any tips there? Do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a potential conflict of interest coming in here. No, <laughs> ah. <laughs> no um, I'm kidding, of course. Um, I, I do have, I, I have, well, I think in the beginning of our conversation, I actually mentioned it. Um, we're not just here to ask a gazillion questions until teams run into a wall. And that's really important that if you feel an agile coach should be a schooled professional agile coach should know how to coach, how to mentor, how to facilitate, how to, how to give advice in a way that they stay present in what, what you're giving people. Is it, what kind of package are you delivering for your team? Um, and I actually have seen, this is the reason why I was like, boy, this can't be working, only asking powerful questions, making people very frustrated. Maybe people actually run away from the coach that opens the door <laughs> and you're like, oh, here comes the coach, right? You, you see those faces go like, okay, let me just look at my screen. Um, they're not here for me. And there is so much power in professional coaching because there's two things here. There's a lot of power in there. But my, my best bet would be partner with the people that you're with. And coaching should only be used in the, how would you say it, in the um, allowing the, I want, don't want to say personal, allowing the professional personal blockers towards professional development to be explored and taken out. That's where coaching is helpful. If someone needs a tip on how to best work with a bike log, if someone needs to talk with you about, I would like to know which scrum course is best for me, there is no use in me asking you all sorts of questions about what, 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 what's important to you about this and, and uh, anything. Um, of course, I would still ask a lot of questions, right? The idea is that <laughs> decide together with your client what type of intervention from your part is helpful and partner with them and say, hey, this makes me curious. This is the third time you bring in learning and you do not seem to get it done. What is blocking you really in actually getting it done? And would you like to have a little conversation about that and see if we can resolve that together? Now, then you naturally can move into a coaching conversation, but keep it, keep it about blockers towards development of a team or a person or a system, um, but not practical thingies that people just really need some advice on. And yeah, but then still, if you, when you give advice or when you give a mentor conversation, speak from your own experience and then circle back. What is happening now that I share this with you? Instead of saying, oh, you should this, you should do that. Good advice um, is like someone giving you a great book at work giving you a great book on your birthday and putting it on your desk and it will sit there for two months. That's what good advice does. Um, so speak from experience, use your coaching competencies, 
but it's not only about asking questions. It's also about sharing observations. It's also about challenging your client when they need to be challenged. Use them whenever you need and whenever your client is ready to hear them. And in this way, you don't scare people away with, oh, would you like to have a professional coaching conversation? Because that's that's what we want. We want to, to practice. There's also tons of practice groups out there that you can play with and grow with. And um, yeah. Yeah. Femi, before you offer a comment, I'm hoping I want to give you one prompt that I'm hoping you can weave in because earlier Natasha had talked about um, kind of remaining neutral of the agenda, absolutely. which is absolutely a true professional coaching competency. Absolutely. And part of the conflict of interest of professional coaching and agile coaching is that in agile coaching, we have an agenda of agility. Right. And we even talk about that in the code of ethics around being transparent when the team or individual or organization is doing something that is counter to what we mean when we talk about agile. So when you talk about this over-occupation potentially of the professional coaching stance, how does agenda play into that for you? Great question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So for me, you know, preconceptions are agendas. You come in, you've got a thought about how a conversation's meant to go. That's an agenda. What's important from my point of view is to be curious. Just go with the flow. Dance in the moment, as I mentioned earlier on. It's, a, it's just like a waltz. Dance to the tune of the client. Don't take the lead in directing them in what steps they should be taking because they will just be following the steps that you take. There's one more item that I'd like to mention, and it's about co-creativity. It's very important to co-create, which essentially would make sure that there's no agenda. And even if there were an agenda, it's an important step that will be taken to resolve Yeah, I, um, I realize I'm keeping both of you longer than I intended to today. And I really, I really appreciate your time. And just want to ask before we wrap up, because this has been fantastic. I appreciate you indulging my tangential question here as we wrapped up, but any final wisdom, thoughts, advice, guidance for our listeners today? Well, um, if, if you allow me to quickly allude to what we just talked about as Agile being one of the agendas you bring in, you bring that agenda in because you were brought in for that. If if your agenda as Agilist and, and is not um, what your client needs anymore and you keep add it, then there is another potential conflict of interest from me wanting my client to to use a certain framework or a certain set of values that may actually not be helpful for them. Um, So as as Femi says, be curious about what it is that, that, that you're actually bringing into yourself, to your client and to the wider group of people and, and environment that you're in so that you are always serving the best interest. And maybe, and this has happened actually to me, maybe your client realizes that Agile as a set of values, great, 
very human, very natural, very fluid. We can all adhere to those. But the whole framework thing, we didn't need that. We're doing perfect the way we're doing. I just am not an agile coach anymore at that time. I become a team coach, which is fine, but it needs to be said out loud so that everybody knows what everybody's doing towards whatever agenda that was set. Yeah, I love that. Vimy? Final thoughts. For me, you've got to be a coach first. Coach first before any attempt to bring the concept of agile into the space. You've got to be able to stand in the gap as a coach without wearing the agile hat. And the agile forms part of what the coaching relationship requires, then it could be brought in. But it could be, as you mentioned earlier on, a conflict of interest to come in and say, right, okay, agile is the solution to the problem. It may not be. Yeah. It may Which, be a means to solving the problem, but it may not be the solution to the problem. Yeah, it's the, you, both of your closing comments here have reminded me of the other, the interdependence of these commitments. Absolutely. And, right, it's, right, ensuring value in the relationship was written all over what yeah. you all have said. In fact, there's been so many moments where you've said beautiful things that highlight those other commitments. It's like, I almost just want to go back and pull out snippets and give people a quiz. Like how many other commitments did you hear, <laughs> Natasha and Finn Absolutely. reference today? Oh, you totally do that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. Um, which allows me to plug that on the Agile Alliance site, where you can learn about the Agile Coaching Code of Ethical Conduct um, and the initiative, read the initiative, all the scenarios. There is also a quiz available that scrum.org provided that helps you test your knowledge and awareness of the different scenarios and what conflicts may be coming up and what ethical conundrums may be happening. So lots of resources available there on the Agile Alliance site. So you can learn more about all of the different commitments of the code. Um, and you can listen to all the other episodes in this podcast series as well. But Femi, Natasha, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Leslie. That was wonderful. Thank you, Natasha. We should have more conversations. It's been absolutely. <laughs> we are now just talking over each other. <laughs> I, I was going to say we should have, and I hope that within the communities, because Agile is a large community, this conversation is is not only a good series of podcasts. It's, it should be in every school and every organization, every Agile, um, every Agilist should at least uh, start one of these conversations once. Like, what does this mean to us? Because it is a work in progress and, and it is, it's very young and, and very, very new so uh, every voice is, is welcome, I would say, for this ethics. Um. Awesome. Thank you very much, Leslie. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you, Demi. Great. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.